Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. tell you today the story of Jake Bird. I don't know that story. You don't Molly. know that story? Well, I hope you were prepared for quite the whopper because it's pretty good. It's a pretty good story. All right. Jake Bird was a guy who was born in Louisiana on December 14th in 1901. A Capricorn. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was. Or was he? No, he was a Sagittarius. I don't know about that. No, I do because my birthday is December 17th and I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. I got it wrong. <laughs> so anyway, it's important you remember that he was born and grew up in Louisiana. That might have partially something to do with how this story turns out. Uh, he didn't have the best home life growing up in Louisiana, uh, but at the age of 19, he took off to ride trains across the country and he got work as a railroad gandy dancer. What the heck is a Gandhi dancer? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's a laborer, and they call it a Gandhi dancer. How fun. I know. I don't know if they have to dance while they're laboring or how that works, but... <laughs> maybe it's the entertainment for people on trains. You know, they didn't have TVs back then. Yeah, maybe. He also actually had a very extensive criminal history, and because he traveled all over the country on trains, he did crimes all over the United States of America. What? They didn't yeah. do a background check before they hired him? I don't think him? they had the internet back in those days, so it was a lot harder. They had to probably write a letter, put it on a donkey, and send the donkey to the post office, and then they had to gotcha. wait. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, it was a little bit different back in those days. Um, but he had committed crimes like burglary and assault all the way up to attempted murder. Um, and he'd actually been in prison for 31 years in Michigan, Iowa, and Utah in various states. So he's old now. Yeah. He, he's, he's way old. <laughs> like how old? Like dead. <laughs> His last stint, he hopped a train and headed to Tacoma, Washington. And in the early morning hours of October 30th, 1947, there were a couple of Tacoma police officers that were called to a residence on um, South 21st Street because they heard screams coming from the house. So the neighbors, I think, called the cops. So the cops got there, and as they got to the house, they saw a man take off out of the back door of the house. So they chased him. That's nothing new, men <laughs> taking off from the back of the house. No, nothing new at all. So they ran after him through the backyard. They crashed through a picket fence. They chased him over several backyard fences, and they finally cornered him. He pulled out a switchblade. And he attacked one of the officers and cut him in the hand, but the officer was able to get a hold of him, get him subdued, and get him arrested. But when they got back to the house, they found two dead bodies, that of Mrs. Bertha Clut and her daughter, Beverly June. And oh, no. uh, Bertha was 53 and Beverly was 17, and they had been hacked to death by an axe. Ooh. And the guy they caught, captured was covered in their blood and their brain tissue all over his clothing. And his fingerprints were on the axe. Like, it was pretty clear he had been the one doing the crime. Well, that right. person was your good buddy, Jake Bird. Oh, he ain't my buddy. Well, you know. No, no. He might be. So he he was the one who, who murdered these two women. So, of course, they took him to prison. They bring him to trial. 
And it was there was so much evidence against him that the jury only deliberated for about 35 minutes before they convicted him. And they uh, sentenced him to hang for his crimes. But um, Bird was like, wait a minute, you know, I I don't want to die. I'm going to buy myself some time. Smart I, man. Yeah, smart man. So he was like, you know what? I have actually can give you a lot more information on about 44 other murders I have committed all over the United States. Oh, wow. So they flew investigators in from all over the country to get more information on all these people that he killed as a gandy dancer on the railroad tracks, going all over the country and murdering people. They were actually able to substantiate 11 of them, but he had enough knowledge of the others to be this prime suspect. They believe that he murdered people uh, mostly white women, actually. And on the side note, he was um, African-American. So he was, I think, one of the first uh, serial killers that had actually crossed over the racial line, which is not all that common. Okay. But he was um, apparently killing people in Illinois, Kentucky, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Kansas, South Dakota, Ohio, Florida, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, and Washington State. So anyway, why is this an interesting story, you ask? Well, because... When he was sentenced by the judge to hang, he said to the entire courtroom, I am putting the hex of Jake Bird on all of you who had anything to do with my being punished. Mark my words, you will die before I do. Ooh. And remember, he's from Louisiana. So he's a witch. So he knows some voodoo. Oh, he's a voodoo witch. He's a voodoo witch, probably. I mean, I don't, they don't say that on the internet, but probably, probably right. Or wait. Men are not witches, they're warlocks. Whatever, he's a voodoo something. He's a voodoo warlock. <laughs> I don't know what he is. <laughs> so anyway, everyone laughed and rolled their eyes at old Jake for trying to suggest he has the power to do this until everyone started to die. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. The judge was the first to go. He, who sentenced Bird to death, he had a heart attack and died long, uh, not long after the conviction happened. The next was um, Bird's own defense attorney, who also died of a heart attack. Then the police officer who recorded Bird's confession died of a heart attack. Another police officer who wrote an official report on Bird passed out of a heart attack. One of his prison guards died of a heart attack. I mean, we're talking like five or six people who've died of heart attacks. And yeah. then a court clerk died of pneumonia. I'm not sure if she was oh. part of his hex or not, but they do count her in the entire body count at the end of all of this. So yeah, so he wiped out. That is powerful. Yeah, I know. That's some powerful I wonder magic. if he killed his victims that way as well. No, he had to use an axe. He used the axe for every single killing? I don't know if he used it for every single killing. But he did use it for the one in Tacoma. So finally, on the morning of July 15th, 1949, he was sentenced and, and his death was carried out. It was witnessed by 125 people. He was hunted to death. And he only had $6.15 left to his person, which he willed to a guy named Murray Taggart, who was the Walla Walla attorney who filed all of his appeals. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. That is a crazy story. I know. So there you go. If people tell you that voodoo is a bunch of nonsense, you just tell them the story of Jake Bird and that might change their mind. Yeah. And do we know where he's buried? Yes, he's buried in Walla Walla. He was buried in an unmarked grave in the prison cemetery and he's only identified as convict number 21520. What I've noticed about these types of stories is usually ghosts, they come back if their grave is unmarked. 
for sure. Really? So you think Jake Bird is haunting the prison cemetery? I do. I do. And I'd like to, you know, investigate that maybe. Oh. How would we get in there? Well, you could can commit a crime. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'll support you oh, in that. Okay, so I'll commit a crime. You get put in me there, in prison in Walla Walla, and then I'll you'll come visit me, and then together we'll find the grave, and I'll just tell everyone this was the plan the whole time. Yeah. Okay, that sounds great. I girl. think it's great. All right, it's all you now. Okay, well, I really enjoyed that story. We thank you. And mine actually is, um, well, I think it's appropriate because where is the best place to find ghosts, Holly? Um, My bedroom closet. Where their bodies are buried. Oh, a cemetery? The cemetery. Okay. You didn't know this was a game show. So Lone Fern Cemetery came into being in 1854 because of a tragic steamship accident called the Gazelle. Oh. Yeah. And James and his wife, Elizabeth Stevens, ran a ferry service across the Willamette River, and they never gave any thought to getting into the cemetery business. However, on April 8th, 1854 at 6.30 a.m., the ship was tied to a dock and the engineer allowed its steam pressure to rise to dangerous levels. So he was clearly, you know, just goofing off, not paying attention. Right. But he realized what he had done and he sensed the imminent disaster and jumped onto the dock and started running. That's great. Isn't that nice of him? (laughs) Without any warning to anybody, 10 (laughs) minutes later, the ship's boilers exploded, killing 21 people instantly. Oh, man. Four others later died of their wounds, while 40 other people were seriously injured. It was such a gruesome sight. There was a large collection of body parts, and they were all over the dock, and it disturbed the local citizens so much That there was a decision right then and there to bury the dead as quickly as possible. Oh, could they, I guess back in those days, they can't figure out what arm belongs to that leg, belongs to this torso. No. No, they can't. Because of that, the land that was next door to them, um, they just decided to use that land and turn it into a temporary cemetery there. Okay. Because of that, you know, all of these people just were kind of thrown in there. And, and, you know, it was just kind of like a makeshift (laughs) cemetery at that time. Yeah. Interesting enough, the word Lone Fir Cemetery seems strange for Oregon because we have all these trees, right? Yeah. There is no such thing as a Lone Fir in Oregon. Well, there was. So apparently that's what kind of made this uh, interesting story here is that there was actually one lone fur <laughs> by itself in this by itself plot of land. in this cemetery and so <laughs> they named it after that wow was the rest of the area just clear cut or something i guess so <laughs> or farmland maybe huh yeah that's interesting there's some interesting notable characters that actually have been buried here portland's past has some really colorful people And Charity Lamb, did you know she was one of the first women in Oregon territories to be convicted of murder? No, I didn't. Who's Charity Lamb? What's her story? Well, she's buried there. On May 13th, 1854, Charity's husband, a known wife beater and cattle thief named Nathaniel Lamb, was eating his lunch and bragging on and on about shooting a bear. 
While he was sitting there, Charity snuck up behind him and swung an axe sharp side down on his head. Oh, girl. It's always <laughs> axes. What yeah. is it with these people? Yeah, it's today's It was machete. the weapon of choice back then. <laughs> yeah. But he struck him three different times before the man actually died. Wow. So he was just like one of these people that just wouldn't wouldn't go. Wow. He was a violent man, and Charity had already tried to leave him once, but was, was forced to return when he followed behind her, threatening to shoot her. You know, he did have guns. So that morning he had threatened to shoot her and that's when she took the axe to him? No. Oh. I wonder what it was. I wonder what the final straw was. And she was like, you know what? I don't care that you killed a bear. I'm going to axe your head off right now. That's right. (laughs) Well, I think it was just years of torture. You know, he was just a mean man. He sounds like it. And, okay, so a week before she hit him with the axe, Nathaniel told Charity he was actually planning to kill her the following Sunday. Oh, <laughs> you have one week left, honey. Yeah. <laughs> You're Nothing like that. a little warning there for you. <laughs> She's like, well, I'm going to kill you on Tuesday, so it'll be Right. <laughs> anyway, so she was tried and convicted by a jury consisting entirely of men, and her children were placed in foster care. Although many were shocked by her crime, there were some who took pity on her. Yeah. Including Dr. Hawthorne. Oh, really? Yeah. Dr. Hawthorne. So Dr. Hawthorne, there's a street named after him in Portland. A big main street, busy street. Yeah. And he used to run an insane asylum. Yeah, yay. Thanks, Dr. Hawthorne. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he actually ran his insane asylum where Lucky Labrador is now. Yes. And he was one of the good guys, actually. So his insane asylum actually didn't torture people. Really? That's disappointing because the more interesting ones do. I know, but he's very (laughs) nice. And he took her into his asylum where she spent the rest of her sentence. And when she died, he had her buried there. But um, he didn't pay the extra money to have like a tombstone for her. So who knows where she's buried. She's got an unmarked grave. Right. And the story goes that he actually, for all of his patients, because even though it was a good facility, a lot of the families, they just didn't come back to collect the body once, you know, they died. So Dr. Hawthorne was said to, you know, just jump the fence and dump the bodies in there and pay the (laughs) grave digger, you know, a mild fee to kind of just get get the... Here, put these somewhere. (laughs) Right. So... You know, there's just a lot of stuff going on in that graveyard. And Man, I guess so. Yep. And there's a particular area. It's called Lot 14. Lot 14. And it's a pretty vacant lot, and there's a story behind that, too. Back in 1950s, Multnomah County exhumed the bodies of all these Chinese workers that were buried at Lone Fir. The Chinese railroad workers would come and work, and then when they would die here, they also were just thrown over the fence. You know, you just have thousands of these bodies in the cemetery. I feel like in piles. Like, that's what I'm picturing. They just throw it over the fence, and there's a pile of bodies right there. Yeah, no, but no, they buried them. But nobody really kept track of the records. As a matter of fact, Multnomah County's records just said, Chinaman, Chinaman, Chinaman. So... You know, Multnomah County, when they're exhuming these bodies, they were trying to construct a new building there on Block 14 in the early 2000s. So as as they were digging, though, 
they actually turned up a femur bone of a very small girl. So there was more than just them buried there. And then that was at the point where they just said, you know, we're just going to call this off. There's too many bodies here. Yes. And instead, um, they probably saw poltergeist. They know what happens when you move the gravestones and you don't move the bodies. Carol Ann. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Nobody wants that kind of supernatural activity in their building. Yeah. And so they have um, gotten together with Friends of Lone Fir Cemetery, and they're currently trying to raise money to build a park and memorial at that site. But actually, I wouldn't mind being buried there because it's a really beautiful cemetery. Oh, yeah. It it really is. It's become really gorgeous. Um, huh. As we, a matter of fact. We need to take a trip there. I don't think I've ever been there. It's beautiful. So, and one thing is that there's these towering redwoods at one of the corner of the, of the, um, of the cemetery. And it's probably the most visited area in Lone Fir Cemetery. The grave's occupant, Daniel Wright, was a mason, and he went down to California during the gold rush. And when he died there, he had ordered these redwood burls to be shipped up from California and planted around his grave. So 150 years later, these trees are forming like an arc. Oh, beautiful. um, All around him, Mm. and it just looks spiritual uh, with the Masonic symbol on his headstone. Uh, a lot of people would come there and they believe that this place holds unique energy. Huh. So we would have, you know, occasionally on a full moon, melted wax, incense, um, you know, maybe offerings there. I have no idea. Some taxidermy maybe was going on there. Some taxidermy. <laughs> but it's unfortunate because so many visitors have gone there now that Wright's headstone has actually been vandalized and whittled down. So. All that's there now is the foundation, but it's right. really beautiful. Oh. And um, huh. I did find a story of an actual ghost haunting there. Oh, cool. In uh, Donna Stewart's book, Ghost Haunting Oregon, she tells of a story that someone encountered in the cemetery. Oh. So, yeah, not long ago, a gentleman and his friend decide to check out Lone Fur After Dark. Walking along the roadside, the pair explored the cemetery, looking at names on headstones. But one man looked up and saw a figure standing about 50 yards away from them. He called out to the figure but received no response. His first thought was that someone had seen them and was trying to frighten them. So they walked toward the figure playing along with the spooky prank. As they approached, the figure seemed to jerk its head upward to the sky just staring, and they realized hey, this might not be a joke after all. The figure was obscured by the trees, but as they cautiously moved closer, they could make out the face of an elderly man with a long beard wearing a white shirt and black pants. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. Santa? Yeah, Santa Claus. (laughs) Although, you know, he didn't have the pipe. (laughs) But men said that When they shouted hello, the man violently jerked his head back towards them, opened his mouth, and screamed. That sounds like my dad. You know what? (laughs) I would, if I saw somebody in the, maybe this poor guy thought they were the ghosts in the cemetery. (laughs) I mean, the guy's like screaming in terror, right? (laughs) Anyway, the men say the figure's eyes, though, were blank and dark as it continued to stare at them before letting go with another loud scream. 
After seeing this man's weird eyes and hearing the second scream, the two of them left the cemetery in a hurry and have never been back. Most actually describe seeing misty figures walking across the cemetery during the daytime as well as after dark. There also seems to be a constant fog in the cemetery Hmm. when surrounding areas are clear. I actually have noticed that driving by. Let's go on Halloween night. Ah, yes. Very good. Visitors repeatedly comment on what seems like columns of cold air in certain areas, and there are even stories of feeling pushed by unseen forces, as if trying to keep people from stepping too close to a grave monument. Hmm. The most common sighting, though, is of a young woman in a red dress who seems to be happily meandering through the grounds, oblivious to anyone around her. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. In the area where, you know, the lot 14, where there's just, you know, no marked graves and there's just a mess of bodies under there. Yeah. People report losing their balance and feeling like something's coming up and trying to grab no, them. No, they don't. Trying to grab them. Like a zombie? Down. Yeah. They, they say it's like this unseen gravitational force to pull them down to what? the ground. We definitely have to go there. We it's, definitely do. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, and there's some tours. So let me tell you what's going yeah, on there. Yeah, where are the tours? Where's my flashlight? Here we go. <laughs> Your flashlight. We're recording this podcast in the dark, ladies and gentlemen. It really adds to the ambiance of our storytelling. Right now, Carol has the flashlight under her chin <laughs> to really show us the spooky shadows on the wall behind her. Right, Carol? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, oh, um, I forgot to mention, too, um, some of the other other cool people buried here. There was actually a divorce attorney. I didn't know they had divorce attorneys <laughs> back then. He was from the early days, named Cornelius Bell. And Colburn Barrel. He descended from the Mayflower Pilgrims and what? sailed with Captain Gray on a trade voyage that discovered the Columbia River. How the hell did he get all the way out here? I don't know, but he's the one that actually owned the steamship, the Gazelle, oh which gosh. exploded. Is he? Did he die in that explosion? I don't think so. Huh. He should have, but he's he's buried there with them, yeah. so it's all good. Okay. Yeah. All right. He's commingled with them. <laughs> his, yeah. His arm is laying in with somebody else's torso somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the famous Dr. William Royal. He was a Civil War doctor, but he was a famous captain who allegedly shanghaied his own son. What? Yeah. No, he did not. That's some parental love for you. That's messed up. Sounds like a sociopath. Lone First Cemetery staff members and volunteers offer monthly tours that provide visitors with fascinating histories and explanations of some of the most bizarre monuments. They also offer information about paranormal activity known to occur in this beautiful place. In October, the Friends of Lone First Cemetery stage a Halloween tour called Untimely Departures. Yes. <laughs> yeah, which Let's highlights the graveyard's paranormal legacy. Nice. Yeah. Oh, and if you've ever been, which you haven't, but if if it ever snows, it looks just like Harry Potter's uh, parents' graveyard. Oh, you know really? that mausoleum? Yeah. That ha- oh, it's exact copy of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, you feel like you're in a Harry Potter set. Oh, cool. So Very cool. Anyway, that's my story. Wow. Thank you, Carol. That was awesome. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted.
you guys. Be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.